Pearls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is wonderful to be with you today. We are in the book of Colossians. We're doing a podcast series through the book of Colossians, going verse by verse. Colossians is Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in the city of Colossae. He did not plant this church. We know that he planted the nearby church in Ephesus, and he spent a couple of years in Ephesus, and very likely during his time there, uh, a man by the name of Epaphras learned the gospel and took it home to his home city of Colossae. And so Epaphras is the man who planted the church in Colossae while Paul spent time in the city of Ephesus. Paul has, through his relationship with Epaphras, he has come to care deeply for the city of Colossae and the church in Colossae, and he is writing them a letter because of some of the concerns they have, different philosophies and ideas that are floating around their city, floating around their culture that are getting confused with the gospel and that are confusing the gospel itself. And so Paul is writing a letter to clear up for them the truths of the gospel and to help them identify the differences between these philosophies that are coming from the world and what is the truth of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, which is where we are at today, Paul is going to begin teaching them how to live. So then, how shall we live? Because he has laid a strong foundations in chapters 1 and 2 about who Jesus is. Chapter 1 is one of the clearest depictions of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of scripture, telling us exactly who he is, explaining to us both his deity, how he is in fact God, and also explaining to us his humanity and that the incarnation was for the sole purpose of dying for the sins of the world so that we could be reconciled to God and brought into the kingdom of God, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. That is who Jesus is. Chapter 2 explained to us that when we came to Christ, our hearts were circumcised and the The sinful nature that we were born with was cut away, was circumcised out of us, and we were baptized into Christ, baptized into his death, that we died with Christ, and then we were raised with Christ. The Apostle Paul went on in chapter 2 to explain that when Jesus died on the cross, he canceled the debt that is against us, and he even put to shame the spiritual forces of evil, the principalities of this world that were trying to defeat Jesus on the cross, Jesus put them to shame through his death on the cross because it is through the death, his death on the cross that Jesus saved the world. And so he was putting to shame the very forces of evil that were trying to defeat him. Jesus defeated over them. And then we were raised to new life with Christ. So Paul goes on to say, so don't let yourself give in to all these lies. Don't let yourself fall into the traps that are trying to be set for you by all these philosophies that you have to do this or do that or follow these rules or this rule. You are free in Christ. Jesus set you free. So then in chapter three, how should we live? How should we live? We are new creations living in the same world we lived in before we knew Christ, but we are a new creation. 
How do we do this? How do we move forward? That is what chapter three is about. Chapter three holds a really special place in my heart because when I was, I think I was 20, 20 years old, I was a camp counselor at a Bible camp in Northeast North Dakota, and we were on a bus trip back from a retreat or something like that. And one of the girls who I admire immensely for her love for the scriptures and her beautiful, pure faith in Jesus, she rounded up a group of us on the bus and said, hey, anyone who wants to memorize Colossians chapter 3, come to the front of the bus. So a pretty big group of us moved to the front of the bus. And for, I mean, I think this this bus ride, we were like on an old school, you know, school bus. And for like a four-hour car ride or bus ride, I think, we worked on memorizing Colossians chapter 3 the entire time on that bus. It was the first time that I had ever memorized a length of scripture, more than a, a verse or two. And the process, I mean, I love the process of memorizing an entire chapter or even longer of scripture because It causes you to meditate on the words over and over and over again as you're trying to memorize two verses and then add a third one and then keep going over and over and over in it. And um, it just, it requires a level of meditation that you don't get really elsewhere. And this was the first time I'd ever done it. And so Colossians chapter three has held a very dear place in my heart ever since. And I am thrilled to get to share it with you. Like I've been doing on the rest of the the Colossians podcast, we will be splitting chapter three in half. Today we are going to go through through verse 11. And then in our next episode, we will actually go through Um, verse 12 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 4 very much goes with the end of chapter 3 rather than the beginning of chapter 4. So that will be the plan for today. I will continue on the pattern I've set where we are going to remember that this is a letter and so we're going to read it as a letter. So I am going to start by reading through chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, just straight through, because it's a letter, and that's how you read a letter. And then we will go back to verse 1, and we will dissect it as we go, and learn what we can about these beautiful words. All right, so Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, reading in Jesus' name. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature— sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, 
circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So Paul is starting by saying in verse 1, Since then, you've been raised with Christ. So we really have to go back to, okay, where was he talking about us being raised with Christ? That was all the way back in chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 11 through 13. In him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, so that was Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So we died with Christ through baptism. We were united with him in his death so that we could then be united with him in his resurrection. So the, the earthly, fleshly, sinful nature that we were born in died with Christ on the cross. We have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ. So Paul introduced that thought in chapter 2 and then he gave kind of a long explanation to the to the Colossians about how so I don't want you to keep following the rules of this world, okay? Set set aside the rules and the philosophies philosophies of this world. Now in chapter 3, he is going back to this idea like, okay, I told you you were raised with Christ. How should you live then? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Here's what the first thing we should do. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is just such an amazing instruction to me. Set your heart on things above. Why? Because you've been raised with Christ. You are no longer of this world. Since you have been raised with Christ, since you are no longer of this world, but you belong to the heavenly world, set your mind there. That's where you should set your heart. And we're going to find out we should set our mind also. That's where we should be setting our heart because that is where we belong. That is our home. That is the truest thing about us is that we have been redeemed through Jesus, that we have died with him and risen with him. So therefore, that is where our heart should be set. Now, the word for set your heart in the NIV, the NIV is the only translation I could find that translates that as set your heart. I love that translation. I think it's beautiful, but it's the only translation that does that. The word in Greek is zeteo, and it means to seek. Now, almost every other translation translates it that way, to seek. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I was looking through my... Bible app, looking at that Greek word to find where else that Greek word is used throughout the New Testament. It's used all over the place and in lots of Jesus's parables where he is talking about seeking something, including 
the parable that this podcast is named after, Seeking Pearls. In Matthew 13, 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. So the the merchant is seeking out fine pearls. And if we go with how the NIV translates this, set your heart, the merchant has his heart seeking fine pearls. Like his heart is set on finding the pearls, the beautiful fine pearls. And that is what it is like to seek the kingdom of heaven, to be seeking with our whole heart the things of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Another place where this word is used in the New Testament where Jesus uses this word, is in Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first. Set first your heart on the kingdom of God. Let your ambition and your desires be aimed at the kingdom of God. And all the other things that we need, that he promises us, will be given to us. But here's what I thought was the coolest one was in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus again is the one talking, and he uses the same word, zeteo, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is a seeking, because the NIV translates it, set your heart, therefore. Another one of the definitions for this is to seek with like great desiring. So this is so beautiful that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He's not just looking for the lost. He is seeking. He has his heart set on the lost, and he is desiring greatly to find the lost and to save them. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So that is the same word that is used in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts. Seek, desiring the things of heaven not the things of earth. And then he gives us another reason. So he already said, why should you do this? Because you have been raised. You've been raised with Christ. Therefore, since you are from the heavenlies now, you should be seeking out the things of the heavenlies. But then he gives us this other staggering reason. And when we hear this reason, it's like, how could we possibly set our eyes anywhere else? (laughs) How could we possibly set our heart anywhere else? He says, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's where Christ is. And it's so mind-boggling because how often do we set our hearts other places? Every day. Every every day we have to realign our hearts with Jesus and like recalibrate our hearts to be focused and seeking on Jesus rather than the things of this world. And yet, the heavenlies is where Jesus is. It should be natural and first, it should be like the first place naturally where our minds go is to Jesus. And yet there's so many other places and things that our hearts get so distracted by. So like every day it's recalibrating, Jesus, help me to set my heart on you. Help me to seek you today. Now, what's interesting is it says, so set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And the reason that that is so interesting to me is because in Ephesians, we learn that we too have have been seated at the right hand of God with Jesus. Like in the spiritual realm, our locality is in the heavenlies, seated next 
to Christ Jesus, who is seated next to God the Father. So let me share this with you. So I'm going to share from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, and I want you to catch where it says we are located. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So I hope you caught that, that it says that when we were saved, when Jesus saved us on the cross and when we placed our faith in him, God raised us up in him. We already heard that, that we have been raised with Christ. He didn't just raise us up with Christ, though. He seated us with Jesus in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So in the spiritual realm, we have seats in the heavenly next to Jesus. So why in the world would our hearts get set on things of earth? We don't belong here. We literally have seats next to Jesus in heaven. Why would I get so distracted and wrapped up in the things of this world? I don't have a good answer for it. I don't have a good answer for it except for even though my sin nature has been removed, my sin habits stick with me very much and my job is to work out my salvation by muddling through as best I can these sin habits and putting them to death, which chapter 3 is going to continue on and tell me to do. So let's move on to verse 2. Verse 2 of Colossians chapter 3 says, Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. So I love this. We already have to seek or set our hearts. Our hearts should be set on the things of heaven. And now our minds should be set on the things of heaven. So we should love the things of heaven. We should yearn for and desire the things of heaven. And also, we should think about the things of heaven. And I will tell you, the more that we think about the things of heaven, the more easily and naturally it will come to love the things of heaven. Because they are, in fact, completely lovely and beautiful and admirable and desirable, and it's what our hearts were made for. God has set eternity into the hearts of his people. And so as we discipline ourselves to set our minds on the things of heaven, our hearts will grow in love for the things of heaven. But as we fail in discipline and continue to think about the things of earth all the time, then it's much more difficult for our hearts to yearn for the things of heaven because our mind is so wrapped up in the things of earth. And usually, let's be honest, when we get all wrapped up in the things of earth, it's usually about the things that we don't have. It's about, for me personally, when I am scrolling through Facebook and seeing all of the places that people are on vacation on beautiful, warm beaches with palm trees and turquoise water, 
I yearn for it. I start to yearn for it. I don't want to yearn for it. I want to yearn for the things of heaven. But when I put in front of me and when I'm when I'm scrolling through and constantly letting myself have right in front of me all of the things that I want and can't have right now on this earth, uh, that's what my heart then decides to yearn for. Whereas when I choose to think about and set my mind on the things of heaven, then my heart is much more content in the things of heaven uh, because they are beautiful and they are wonderful and they last forever and they are not temporary and they will never disappoint. It's so much better. But I have to set my mind if I want to set my heart. I'm going to say that again. I have to set my mind on the things of heaven if I want my heart to be set on heaven. My mind needs to lead and the love of my heart will follow. But my mind needs to lead. That's why Paul in his letters, the Apostle Paul in his letters, he tells us so often how to think, how to be careful of our mindset. Where our mind goes, our heart will follow. All right, verse three, he tells us why. Why should we set our minds on the things above, not on earthly things? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died. You died with Christ on the cross. Your sinful earthly nature, everything of earth in you died with Christ on the cross. And now your life that is really life is hidden in Christ. You will find your life in Christ. The NLT, the New Living Translation, is really helpful on this verse. The NLT says in verse 3, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died to this life, to this world, you died. And your real life, the life that is truly life, is hidden with Christ in God. The more we seek Christ, the more we find life. Then in verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, he is your life. He's not a part of your life. He's not even the main part of your life. It's not like one of those pie charts we might draw like in Sunday school and one of the pieces of pie gets to be Jesus in church. No, he is your life. He is the whole pie. Nothing in our life can be contradictory to Jesus. When it is contradictory to Jesus, that's when we need to cut it out. Cut out that part of our life that's contradictory to Jesus. He is our life. Our life on earth is not about earth. Our life on earth is about Jesus. We have work to do here, but it's like we are on assignment. We don't have any allegiance to this world. Our allegiance to Jesus is to Jesus because he is our life. He is our life. We are here on earth on an assignment. We are ambassadors for Christ's sake. We are here to be ambassadors for Christ, to tell the world, to be reconciled to God. That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so why should we not have our mind set on earth? Because earth is not the point. Earth is where we are on assignment. Earth is where we are living out as ambassadors for Christ. But 
all the while we belong to Christ, our spiritual life, our real life is in the heavenlies. Our life that is truly life is in Christ Jesus. It's not about earth. Say that out loud if you need to. It's not about earth. My life on earth is not about earth. My life on earth is about Jesus and bringing people to Jesus, showing the love of Jesus to people. That is what the life on earth is about. In verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. That will be when we get to see the fullness of what our life was really about. For now, we get glimpses. The Apostle Paul in another letter says, For now we see in part, but then we will see fully. We get glimpses about what our life is really about. But we will see and understand and know fully when Christ appears. And we will appear with him in glory. He is our life. 1 John 3, 2 is a verse that I quote a lot on this podcast. It is about the return of Christ. It is becoming like Christ. It says, But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. We will see him as he is, so then therefore we will become like him. We hang our hopes on that because it it is in fact coming. Like Jesus is in fact coming. That life is hidden from the unbelievers. They can't see it. They can't comprehend. They don't understand it. And yet our job here is to show them such tremendous love, to love with the love of Jesus that they are drawn towards Jesus despite whether or not they understand. All right, so Paul goes on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Isn't that is such an interesting contrast that he is talking about these beautiful words. Set your heart on Christ. Set your mind on Christ. You are seated with him at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is seated in the heavenlies and you will appear with him in glory when he returns. It's just these beautiful, beautiful things. And then all of a sudden it's very sudden. Put to death, therefore. In fact, the word in Greek means to mortify it. So I've read in commentaries that it really should have an exclamation point after it. It's like, mortify it. Do it now. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Isn't that interesting that we might think that we don't worship false gods, but if we are struggling with greed or jealousy or envy, we certainly are struggling with false gods because we are idolizing that whatever that thing is that we are so envious of. It is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. So we need to put these things to death. Now, let's look really closely at here. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Okay, we talked extensively in chapter two and a little bit today about how that earthly nature was crucified with Christ on the cross. That earthly nature died with Christ. Why then does it tell us to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature? Okay, 
let's look very closely here. Let's notice that it doesn't say put to death your earthly nature. That already has been put to death. It says put to death the things that belonged to your earthly nature. The sin habits. Your sin nature has been removed and crucified with Christ on the cross. Now, in our daily life, we are responsible to continue putting to death all the things that came from our earthly nature, all the sin habits that we just continue to like fall into. They, they no longer should have any hold on us. Jesus is stronger than our sin habits. But it requires us, remember in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, The spirit God gave us is not a spirit of timidity, but power, love, and self-control. So we need to use that Holy Spirit that God put inside of us. We need to utilize him, pray for him to empower us, to give us the self-control and the self-discipline, which is a fruit of the spirit, to overcome the habits that are left over. Yes, your sin nature was crucified with Christ on the cross. Yes, you have within you the Holy Spirit who is indeed strong enough to overcome every single sin habit that you have and that you struggle with. The Holy Spirit is strong enough to overcome every single one of them. Let's say that out loud. The Holy Spirit inside of me is strong enough to defeat any sin habit I struggle with. So daily, Paul is saying, put it to death, mortify it, do it now, put to death everything that belongs to your earthly nature. Whatever habits you still struggle with, put them to death. And you know what? Tomorrow, put it to death. And the next day, put it to death. And the next day, put it to death. And here's the thing about sanctification. It will get easier. We will never be perfect while we walk on this earth, but we will grow in holiness. We absolutely will grow in holiness. The sin habits that seem most frustrating or the ones that seem to have the biggest hold on us right now, they are going to get easier and smaller. We will get stronger in the Holy Spirit. And it will become easier for us to let go of those, to turn our head, to not desire that thing, to say to somebody else, I'm so glad you got that amazing beach vacation that I didn't get to go on and really mean it. Like, I am so happy for you and not be envious and not uh, be jealous. It will be easier for us to let go of whatever lust or impurities we have the more we exercise the fruit of the Spirit within us, the more we allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, the stronger we get. That is a guarantee of the Holy Spirit. He will make us stronger. Then verse 6 says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Because of the sin in this world, the wrath of God will come. Evil will be defeated forevermore. Right now, we still live in a world where there is sin and the Holy Spirit gives us power and strength to overcome it. Verse 7, he says, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived before you knew Christ, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. So now he's going to give us another list. What's interesting is that this list is maybe a little bit softer, something that we can hide a little bit more, a little bit more acceptable in society today. Anger, rage, malice, filthy language from your lips. Our language matters. 
We are not supposed to use filthy language. If people say, why does it matter? Why does, why does swearing matter? Why does cursing matter? Any forms of derogatory speech, why do they really matter? Because it doesn't reflect the beauty and the trueness of Christ. He says, get rid of it. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. In James, James asks us, how is it that you can curse your brother and bless your father with the same mouth? Let's make sure our mouth is speaking things of truth and beauty at all times. That is very much something I just said to myself. I just want you to know that. Rebecca, watch what your mouth is saying. Of course, when it says anger, we need to remember that there is indeed throughout the scriptures, there is righteous anger, the anger of God. Um, But it also says in James that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So it's we as humans need to be very cautious when we are angry because very seldom is our anger going to be anger that is going to accomplish the righteousness of God. When he, when God is angry, it's fully righteous. But for you and I, that's rarely the case. And so we need to be care- very careful about our anger. Verse 9, he goes on and says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Don't lie to each other. Why? Because you took off your old self. I want you to remember if you've been following the podcast and you listened last week or to the last session in chapter two, you heard me read a little bit from the Chronicles of Narnia, book three, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and I shared with you when Eustace gets his dragon skin cut off by Aslan, who is the Christ figure. And it hurt to have Aslan cut off that dragon skin. But when he did, he felt so free and wonderful and his skin felt so soft to the touch and he was brand new. And then after Aslan threw him in the bath and bathed him in the well, then he got out of the well and he and he let Aslan dress him in new clothes. But he could not get the new clothes put on until Aslan had cut away the dragon skin. So it is with us. The dragon skin has been cut off and we have been given a new self, the righteousness of Jesus to put on. Jesus clothes us in his righteousness. Since we've been covered in the new self, the image of Christ, the righteousness of God, since we've been clothed in the new self, let us not fall into old practices. But instead, let us be renewed in knowledge as we grow to know the Lord. So therefore, that means that we don't just stay here. Like we don't just say, oh, I got I got I put on the new self and now I'm done. <laughs> no, we want to be renewed every single day. We want to keep growing, being renewed in knowledge as we grow in the image of our creator. And the image of Christ in us will grow. That is what sanctification is. The image of Christ in us will grow as we grow in knowledge of who God is, of who Christ is. I want to share with you this verse out of the New Living Translation, which I find really helpful. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 out of the New Living Translation says, 
Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I'm going to say that again. Put on your new nature. Okay, I want to pause there and just first of all explain why it says that it's like something we should do. Well, first of all, in the New English translation, it does say that we have been clothed with the new man. So the translations differ slightly. One says we have been clothed with the new man. That would be like God put his righteousness on us. And the and then the new living that I said says put on your new nature. And the NIV that we're reading out of through this podcast says um, that we have put on. So it's a little bit slightly different in each one of them. And we might think, well, which one is it? And I would say to you both, yes. That is why they're translated in a few different ways because they are all correct. That God, first of all, clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. When we came to Christ, we were buried with him and we were raised with him and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then it says that we need to, we need to put on the new self. And that would be like an, a, a daily alignment of today I'm going to live in you, Christ. Today I'm going to live in you, Jesus. Today I'm going to live in you. I'm not going to live in the old self, which was cut away. I'm going to live in you. I'm putting on the righteousness of Christ today. I'm putting on the renewed, redeemed creature that you have made me to be. I'm putting that on today. So it's like a, yes, Jesus did it for me on the cross. And it's a, yes, I'm going to choose it every day through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to choose you, Jesus, today. And then the next day, I'm going to choose you, Jesus, today. Now, the process of sanctification which is a big word for becoming like Jesus, the decision or the alignment to put on Christ each day becomes much more natural. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus. So as we live on earth and walk with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And the decision to put on Christ today gets much easier and much more natural. But these are brand new Christians in Colossians. The church has only been around for maybe 10 years and probably not even, probably seven or eight. And so Paul is reminding them, put on Christ, put on Christ, put on Christ. And as you put on Christ, you will grow in knowledge and you will grow in his image. In verse 11, he says, here, in the image of God, in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew. There is no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. It does not matter. There are not social classes in Christ. There is no difference between if you've been circumcised or uncircumcised. If you're Greek or Scythian or barbarian, it does not matter. In Galatians, he adds in there, male and female, there is no difference between who I love more and who is valued more. No matter who you are, it says Christ is in you and Christ is you. Christ is in all and Christ is all. Christ fills us as a body of Christ, no matter who you are. You are all welcome here. Jesus fills you. Jesus is the center of you. And then he goes as far as saying, Jesus 
is you. Christ is all. He is your life. He is the point. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Next week, we're going to go further into what we should put on as our practices. So today, we learned about what we should take off as our practices. And as he goes on in chapter 3, he's going to talk about then what then what do we, what do we replace those negative practices with? What do, How do we replace them? How do we live well for the glory of God? How do we put on Christ in an active, concrete, practical way? That is what the rest of chapter 3 is going to look at. Thanks for joining me. I hope you have a great day. 